this dignitary had spoken out against the Japanese uh, invasion of China and its mounting movements towards joining World War II and all of that. And I had done my research for this and put it out there. And it was about maybe a year after the book, maybe not even quite a year, the book had been out. And I was at a convention in the Midwest, and my friend Chris Ryan, as a matter of fact, was with me at this one. And I'd gone to do a panel, and had come back from that, and there was a gentleman standing there talking to Chris, and Chris says, this man has been waiting to talk to you. The man was at that time, let's say I was in my, my, my 40s or, or you know, late 30s. I think it was my 40s, though. The, the man was maybe in his 60s or early 70s. You know, well-dressed, nice-looking, you know, well-kept well and all that. And he proceeds to give me this long description of his life experience, growing up as a child, going to school, going to college, graduating, you know, well, getting a job as a reporter, having that career for a long period of time, and then becoming a professor after he retired from that. And I'm standing there listening and talking because, you know, that's part of what I do. I don't mind meeting people and learning, you know, about them and all that. But I'm wondering, why are you sharing all of that information, all of your background information? And the thing that he had pointed out initially when he started was that he grew up during World War II and he saw Japanese Americans interned, right? He, he'd seen it. He'd been there. He said, after telling me this whole experience, you know, and all this education and this worldly experience he had, he said to me, it had never occurred to him that there were Japanese people in the world who had been opposed to World War II until he read Blackjack, Blood, and Honor. And I was, I was floored. I mean, I stood there, I can still remember it, not knowing what to say to that. Because on the one hand, I was absolutely maximized thrilled that my story had brought that information to him. At the same time, it was incredible to me that he had gone through all that and never heard or thought about that considering that, you know, when the Japanese-Americans came back, the ones who'd been in the military came back, they were, yeah, they were silenced for a number of years, but stuff has been coming out since. So he says to me, the last thing he says to me before we get into sort of a, a, a less intense conversation is, it helped, in effect, he said, it helped me realize, or I, suddenly I realized how intense, how effective the propaganda had been. And it was at that moment that I realized, you know, without thinking that I was setting out to do something like this, that this is what telling these kinds of stories can do, not just for us as African Americans or as, as, as West Indians or whatever, but also for non-blacks, you know, because knowledge, again, is knowledge. And it was like, it was, wow. So hearing you say this, you know, brings that memory back and some others that I've heard over the years. So which, which leads me to the other question that I was going to ask you is, you know, do you think, you know, thinking about what you experienced and, and what I just shared, do you feel that, that this character, which I introduced years ago, still has a place in today's fiction or society, you know? You're kidding, right? No, I'm not kidding. I'm asking a straight-up question. Um... I don't know where we're getting this feedback because I'm I'm hearing myself through my headphones again. Oh. Um. Anyway, um, more than ever, to quote uh, T'Challa, it becomes important that we look that we begin to look at each other as if we were one great tribe. Mm. 
There are people in the world who are in positions of power who try to stress our differences more than the things that make us the same. And to further quote the Chala, who quoted many other people, when you start to look at it, there are more things about us that are the same than that which makes us different. Mm. And in that sense, we are all our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper, what have you. This, this mechanism, this happy, this happy serendipitous accident that you put together is, is a great tool to help, to help educate people and to show people that no matter where you are, no matter what time you are, no matter who you are, you have more in common than you might think. And also that good history and bad history are also a matter of who's looking at it. Mm. And at the same token, history um, history has a tension, has um can be while it can be twisted the idea the things that i like about what you do is that you don't when with with aaron and his adventures you don't distort the history you bring the history as it is in the period you don't you don't um embellish it like that guy was talking about um finding out that japanese people weren't um weren't for getting into world war ii or even aligning themselves with hitler and mussolini that's, I mean, and many, um, most people don't even know about Japanese internment. Mm. These are the types of things, these are the types of things that are not taught in our schools, in our elementary and junior high and high schools, and they should be. And it's not, it's, you're not finding this stuff there. Comic books, um, at the, at the very heart are, are means of education and a and a mirror. Uh, sometimes a mirror darkly, and sometimes uh, take a look at yourself and try to make that change. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's really you have to. It really shows you who you are and what you believe and what you do. And uh, these are things. I have been a comics person. Um, since I could read. And while I was, um, my family, I was one of the original latchkey kids. My, my father was divorced when I was very young and he raised me and my kid brother. And so while I didn't spend much time with my dad, uh, who had several jobs. I would have thought he was Jamaican there, you know. Oh, 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 you went there, you went there. Yeah. All these all these four or five different jobs. But anyway, no, um, a lot of the formation of who I am and how I do things and how I work with people are formed by the principles that I learned out of comic books. Mm. That one person can make a difference. That, that you have to have faith that you, um, in yourself and in the people that are around you, 
and if you keep the picture in your mind of what you what you know to be right, what you stand for, yeah, you know, you you're not what you do is not in vain, no matter how um, how disconnected it might seem at the time. Um, one of the biggest one of the biggest uh, recent things is you know although it's um, bit of a bit of a sad spot is the passing of uh, Senator McCain. Mm. I remember I remember seeing the Huntley and Brinkley report when the French footage came back with him in the in the hospital bed. I remember when he got off that plane. Uh, it was like eerie watching it watching it on TV this this weekend. It was really weird. But here was a guy, even his enemies had to respect him. He didn't lie. He told the truth. He wouldn't stand for people who lied to him. He wouldn't stand for people who lied about people he knew. Mm. Even adversaries. The thing that got played more times than anything was that uh, was that white woman calling Barack Obama uh, an Arab, and he snatched the phone, snatched the mic from her, and said, "No, no, he's not. He's an American citizen. He's a very good man, a family man, someone who I just have disagreements with." Not the like of that has not been seen in this country since we've had television. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, think of, I think of him and Edward R. Murrow. I mean, of course, we can talk about uh, a number of the black leaders who, who stepped forward, but when you're talking about McCain, you're talking about some of the, 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 the white leaders who have been in the seats for quite some time. Yeah, integrity is a rare, rare gift to the American people. And, and I think that when I saw him give his concession speech the night that he, you know, he lost the election to Obama and he came out and he said, you know, the numbers are in and, and in effect he said that, uh, you, know, President, you know, Barack Obama has won and the audience started booing. He cut it off right there. And, and the things that he said after that, I remember sitting there thinking, if you had talked more like that during the latter part of your campaign, this would have been a much closer race. You know, I don't know who would have won, but I know that the things he said standing there on that podium was the kind of guy that you're talking about. And I think somewhere during the latter part of his campaign, things got a little twisted because of other advice that he may have been getting or whatever. But not to mention his running mate. I will say I wasn't even going to get because we're not going to make this a whole political thing. But yeah, I I agree with you. I think integrity is something that we many of us like to see in our heroes in our role models, uh, whatever color they are, wherever they come from. You know, a lot, of, a lot of the audience, you know, whether they're reading comics or watching movies, love the honor thing. You know, whether it's an American in uniform or a Western or it's a Japanese samurai or the honor code thing. You know, that gets everybody all juiced, you know. And, and honor isn't just, yeah, I can fight. Honor isn't just, I look good in, the, in an outfit or a costume. You don't have to. You don't right. have to have. You don't have to wear a uniform to have honor. No, you don't. You and do. and that's what a lot of people 
seem to forget, and I think, again, going back to, to Blackjack, because I also said I, I wouldn't let this roll too long, but going back to, to, to Blackjack, it was one of the things I tried to put forth, and, and I'll, I'll throw this in, because you were talking about what you watched when you were growing up. Uh, I was not a latchkey kid, because my mom's raised me. My dad was not in the picture at all. Uh, I had a step-grandfather who I adored, but I didn't get to see him very much. And so a lot of the male role models in my life were either from comics, but more so from television, from the heroic characters I watched on television, some of the Western characters like Roy Rogers or, you know, uh, Range Rider, Buffalo Bill Cody, um, and, <laughs> and that's where I'm going now, the Lone Ranger and Tonto. And the Lone Ranger and Tonto, to me, I didn't consciously think of it at that time, but as I got into my teens, I realized the Lone Ranger and Tonto, to me, was the only iconic imagery on television of two men from different races, different cultures, who were like literally like brothers. I've got your back, you've got mine. If if it gets thick, if folks are coming at us, we get them, we take them on together. There is no well, hey, it's been good because you know there's that old joke about what do you mean we Kimosabi? You know there's an old joke about that. But that was not them. I stand with you and by you. And it wasn't until Cope and Cosby and I Spy that another team like that presented itself on television. So when I wrote Blackjack, part of it was the kid in me who wanted to be that hero who had those wild adventures and saved lives and helped others and didn't hang around waiting, you know, for the accolades and, you know, the promotions and all that. You know, in his case, he gets paid to do it, but also he'll take on things because he's got to, because it's not right, and he's going to try and help, he's going to try and fix it. That's where that ethical honor code as a heroic figure came. My mother and grandmother and step-grandfather taught me it as day-to-day -day life. And when you put those two together, it, it becomes very difficult for me to not see those role models out there at this time among this other noise, you know, whether it's anti-heroes or absolute, you know, the worst case scenarios and the worst case human beings you can think of being presented as the ones we should cheer. So ultimately, I think for me, when I asked you the question about whether or not I, do you feel Blackjack has a place in this, you know, this time period, uh, meaning in, uh, in the media that's going on right now, I asked that knowing how I feel about it, but also wanting to really, and I've asked a number of other people, how do they see it? You know, whether they're in favor of it, him or not, how do they think he fits or doesn't fit in the world in which we're living right now? Stay tuned for part three.